Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Uh, like Alvaro said, uh, this is uh, Evangelical Bible Studies number one. And so this is not the end all be all. Uh, we, we don't know anything, right? Uh, but God's good and his word is good and his word does the work. I mean, if I know anything, it's that God's word and prayer, man, they, they, they accomplish a lot. And so if you don't take anything away from this, but that, then praise the Lord, like mission accomplished, right? And so uh, this is going to be a, a three session breakout really on evangelism is the focus. And so, you know, this is a missions conference. And so Lord willing, some of you all will come and you're going to hear God's call in your life. And you're going to say, man, I need to surrender my life to the mission. God, wherever, whenever, to, to whoever, like I'm all in on what you called me to. But you can't put the cart before the horse, right? And so if you realize that God's called you to lay down your life in the mission and you're not active in evangelism right now, well, we got to slow down, right? And so Lord willing, this will be a very practical session on how you can get a handle on this book for yourself and start putting it into practice today in the lives of people around you, in your community, in your church, in your, your schools, in your workplace, and just trust God for an open uh, book to do the word. Uh, and so again, uh, Alvaro laid it out. Today, we're going to be talking about a construct for Bible study. And so we're going to call this Discovery Bible Method. And this is just our approach in terms of getting an open Bible with the lost. Tomorrow is going to be, uh, really, it's going to be a classroom setting. And so there'll be a Q&A aspect to it, but it's going to be a workshop as well. So we're going to take the principles that we're learning about Discovery Bible Method, and you're going to put it into practice. And you're going to work through it in small groups, and you're going to have questions, and you're going to have fun just studying the Bible. And then we'll end with a Q&A uh, just about putting all this into practice. And then the last day, Saturday, we're going to give you a curriculum. Again, the, the Word of God, this is all the curriculum you need. Uh, but we love working from creation to Christ and walking from Genesis all the way to the cross and seeing from Genesis chapter 3 the promise of a coming Messiah so that people understand what sin is for themselves and understand a need for the gospel. And so Alvaro, he's fantastic. He's going to lay that out for us on Saturday. And so with all of that, you know, there's many methods to evangelism. Uh, I look around and I see, you know, some of us who grew up with, with Ray Comfort. Can you, anybody know who Ray Comfort is? Right? Confrontational evangelism. And man, praise the Lord for that. Uh, some of us who grew up with gospel tracks, right? And man, you can work that track inward, you know, outward, just all around and, and just lay out the gospel through it. Uh, but I want to propose that an open Bible with the loss for extended periods of time is not only a healthy, but an incredibly effective way of evangelizing the lost. Uh, my, my pastor, I'm so thankful for him, Pastor Sam, one of the things that he says is that ministry is an open Bible. And, and I believe that with all my heart. And so if you've got a Bible with you, turn to, to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at a, a familiar passage for, for many of us. Hebrews chapter 4. All right, who's got it yet? Sword drill. All right, someone just slammed their Bible like he's there, right? 
So Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says that the word of God is quick. It's alive, right? It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do, right? And so here, man, we see the effectiveness of the word of God. And what I want us to see is that there's no place in the Bible that tells us that, that we are powerful, right? There's nowhere in the Bible that says that, that we are sharper than a two-edged sword, right? That it's not our skill, it's not our eloquence, it's not our, our knowledge of the scriptures that does the work. It's the word of God that's sharp, right? It's the word of God that can pierce a person, that can reveal sin in their life, that, that, that can confront someone with, with the reality uh, of a destiny, eternity from Christ and lead them to a point of repentance. And so I have to believe that the more a person encounters and is confronted with the word of God, well, the more likely they are to get saved, right? The more someone is encountered, they're forced to reflect on the person of Christ, on his mind, the more likely they are to gain the, 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 the God's heart, to gain his mind and to, to acknowledge a need for, for a savior. And so what we have to learn is that the word of God has to do the work of God, right? The word of God has to do the work of God. It's a heart for the word of God that gives us a heart for, for the work of God. And it's quite literally the key, right? We can look um, uh, earlier today, we talked about the, the, the church at Laodicea, right? And the church at Philadelphia. And so in Revelation chapter three, uh, we get these incredible letters to, to seven different churches. And we find this letter to this church at Philadelphia. And this is the church of the open door, right? In the book of Revelation, we find these seven letters to seven literal churches. And these letters were, were literal and historically for seven churches. But as we study them out, we realize that these letters, that they're written to churches that represent different times in church history. And so there's a prophetical image that we see in, in, in these letters to seven churches. We see Ephesus, which represents 90 to 200. Uh, uh, Smyrna, which represents 200 to, to 325. Pergamos, 325 to 500. Uh, Thyatira, 500 to 1,000. Sardis, 1,000 to 1,500. Philadelphia, 1,500 to 1,900. And Philadelphia, as we know, it, you know, we know the city. It's a city of brotherly love, right? And so this is the church that, that, that holds on to the, to, to the form of sound doctrine, to, to the word of God. Not just that, but they take it and they run with it, right? They believe Jesus. They believe his word for what it is. And so they take it to the nations. And it's exciting. Again, prophetically, the church at Philadelphia lines up with the period of 1500 to 1900. And this is the period that got the Bible back into the hands of the common man, right? This word, it got back into the hands of the people. And those people, man, they believed it with all their heart. And so they took it and they obeyed it. And they just started trusting God to reach the nations. It was simple. And we see the golden age of missions come through this period. We see some of the baddest preachers that ever walked this earth happen in, in this period of church history, right? And so Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 8 says, 
And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things say to you that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Man, don't we need an open door? That's what we're all trusting God for, right? It's an open door. We need an open door that no man can shut. But check this out. Is it because of their intellect? Is it because of their strength? Nah, right? For thou hast little strength, right? They're not mighty. They're not strong. They're, they're nobodies. Y'all are nobodies. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Man, we're nobodies, right? But God is good. God is good. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Right? We've got to trust the word of God to do the work of God. And so again, this period of church history is considered to be the golden age of missions. This period produced some of the greatest features that this world's ever seen. This is the age of the open door. It wasn't because they were strong. They had little strength. This is the church that kept his word and refused to deny his name. And we see that this key of David is given to them that opens a door that no man can shut. And as we study and compare scripture with scripture, it takes us to Isaiah 22. In Isaiah 22, we have this incredible cross-reference for the key of David. And we don't have time to, to turn there and to belabor this point, but the key of David refers to the king's son possessing access and authority to the treasures of the king and the kingdom. And as we study this, the deeper truth that we see in Isaiah 22 is that while it's talking about this guy Eliakim, this passage is a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king's son. Jesus holds the key of David. Jesus has access to treasures of the king's household and the kingdom. And he opens a door that no man can shut. And this is the key that's needed to unlock the treasures of the word of God, but also to unlock the work of God right? And we need this key to unlock his word and to unlock his work. In Psalm 119 verse 14, it says, I rejoice in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. Man, it's rich. His word is rich. In verse 72, it says, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Have you guys ever held thousands of gold and silver? You think that's worth a lot of money? You think that's precious? It's not as precious as this, right? God's word is precious. It's rich. In verse 127, it says, Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Were you guys listening to the message last night? Man, Pastor Jay, he brought it, right? Man, do you love God's word even more than the carnal things of this world? You have to. It is the key to, to understanding, to, to mining gold out of this book, but also to the work of God that he has for you. What is your heart towards God's word? In Psalm 119, we find 176 verses about David's love for the word of God. He's obsessed with it. He loves it, right? And so it's no wonder that David was known as the man after God's own heart. Why? Man, because his heart was, I mean, it was this book, right? It was this book. And so surely this attribute 
was tied to, 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 to David's love and reverence for God's word. This book, it's, it's treasure. And if you want the treasure of this book, then you need the key of David to access it. And this key of David, this love for God's word, what's the key to unlocking the treasures of the work of God as well? And so in case you're wondering, this is the church of Philadelphia. And you're like, man, that's awesome. But that's not our, that's not our time. That's not our day. That's not our age, is it? We're, we're, we talk about this Laodicean church age that we live in. And what's going on with the Laodicean church? Well, in Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 20, rather than it being a church of the open door, what, what's happening in the church of Laodicea? Church of the closed door, right? The church, it's neither hot, it's not cold. This is a church that's poor, that's naked, that has no vision whatsoever. This is a church that continues just holding services, but isn't effective in God's mission. Man, there's so many, man, there's so many churches like that, right? We're holding services. We come here, we belong to a Christian country club where we come in, man, we got coffee. Y'all came in, we had breakfast. Awesome music, great speakers. We got friends. Man, this is a it's a country club, right? No, it can't be that. But man, that's what the church of Laodicea has become. It's a church that's holding services and it's not effective for God's kingdom. It's not effective for the mission. We're just here. And what the, the text says is that Jesus, he's not even in it with us, right? Jesus is on the outside, just knocking. Like, come on, open the door. I just want to come in and sup with you. Man, the church of Laodicea, rather than it being a church of the open door, it's a church of the closed door. And it's a church that left Jesus, that left his word outside. And so, man, if we're going to accomplish anything in the mission, if we're going to be good at evangelism, then the word of God is going to be the key to the work of God. Do you see that? So, again, Jesus says, man, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. That's his desire. I just want to spend time with you. And so just a, man, a personal charge to each and every one of you. You're going to be effective in God's mission. This isn't just the key to Bible study, but this is the key to you personally having a devotional walk with Christ. That's going to be effective and, and making you effective for the mission, right? And so, man, what is your heart towards God's word? Is he outside the door? Or man, are, are you guys just intimate with one another, right? Is he reading you and are, are you reading him? And man, he's doing a great work in your life. It's got to be true, right? That's got to be true of us. And so why do I bring all this up? Well, because if we're going to be effective in the mission, then the Bible has to be at the very center of it. If we're going to be effective in the mission, then man, again, the word has to do the work. And so, you know, Discovery Bible Method, what we're going to talk about today, uh, it is an evangelistic form of Bible study. And and really the the crooks of it is it puts the burden of proof on the exposition of God's word. Right. So for Discovery Bible Method, it puts the burden of proof, not on you, not on your eloquence, not on your ability to uh, do speech and reason, not on your ability to uh, argue not on your ability to uh, debate. It puts, it puts all the burden of proof on the exposition of God's word over time. And so the goal isn't, you know, all right, 
right now, I'm going to approach this person. I'm going to lay out Romans Road, and I'm going to trust God that they make a decision today. And there's times like that. You know, I think about me and my wife, we just got back from Dallas, and we've got a one-year-old. So we're like, do we drive with a one-year-old eight hours, or do we fly one hour? And it was tough because flying is more expensive than driving, but time is money also. And so we decided to fly, right? And man, if you're on a plane with someone and they're next to you, it's like, well, this dude, I'm never gonna see him again in my life. And so if I get an open door, man, we're walking through Romans Road and I'm laying out the gospel and I'm trusting God that he makes a decision. If not, that he just gets the gospel and he can ponder in his heart, right? I'm trusting God for that. But y'all, at my workplace, got a Bible study that meets every other Thursday. And we're just going to work through the word of God and trust God over time to reveal himself to, to the people that are attending and that they would understand their need for a savior as they encounter and walk with the word of God, right? And so again, Discovery Bible Method, it's an evangelical form of Bible study that puts the burden of proof on the exposition of God's word over time. It lets the Bible speak for itself. And one of the best parts about Discovery Bible Method is what it produces. There's sustaining effects to Discovery Bible Method, right? The first time I meet on the, the airplane, again, I might give him the gospel, and maybe he does get saved, and then he's going to go and live in Dallas, and I'm going to live in Kansas City, and the likelihood of us ever connecting again, of him getting plugged into to church and me knowing that he's growing in a walk with Christ, it's slim to none, right? The beautiful part of Discovery Bible Method is, man, if we're going to have this routine of constantly getting together in the Word of God on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, well, when this person gets saved, he's primed and ready for discipleship. He's primed and ready to, to attend church, right? All this is preparing him to come join us, to be a part, to get plugged in, to become a disciple of Christ. And then all he knows is to do, do the same. Oh, Christians, what they do is they study the Bible and they trust God's Word to be reality in their life and they live it out. That's all they know about Christianity is what we've been doing in the context of Bible study. And so again, the sustaining effects, what it produces long-term, it's beautiful. Why? Because it prepares someone not just to be a believer in Christ, but to be, become a disciple of Christ, to become a disciple of Christ. And so, uh, man, again, this is exciting to me. Um, I'm very passionate about this topic, if you can't tell. Uh, this is what so my wife and I, like when we're not here, if I'm not working, the things that I, I talk about that we obsess over is Bible study and church planting. I'm always just thinking about it, talking about it, strategizing about it, excited about it. Like JJ, you, that's what we talk about, right? Like JJ, you know, this is something that I'm just excited about and it's because it's completely changed my life. Uh, so I, I started attending just kind of a, a brief introduction to who I am. I don't think I even introduced myself. My name is Miles Cheadle. Uh, I attend the, the college and adult class here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and, and I help to, to lead our uh, Friends of Internationals outreach. And so it's just a strategic way that we engage international students. I trust God that they would become saved and that they'd become disciples and that we could use it as a conduit for planting churches all over the world. Uh, and so uh, I started by coming to Midtown uh, a little over 10 years ago, and I grew up going to church. I went to church every Sunday. Uh, I attended church, uh, but that was it, right? For me, church is more of a family reunion than me, like, learning the Word of God. 
It's like, oh, my uncle's going to be there. My aunt's going to be there. My grandparents are going to be there. And so we'll get some hang time in the lobby. I get to see everybody. And then I'll go to service and I'll like color or play tic-tac-toe with my brother or like whatever, just to pass time while the, the preacher's preaching, right? And so I, I attended church my entire life. Uh, but whenever I came to Midtown Baptist Temple uh, a little over 10 years ago, uh, one of the first things that happened is I was invited to a Bible study. At that time, uh, Dan Renault, uh, he's now the pastor of Living Faith Lee Summit. Uh, at that time, he was a college and adult pastor. And Dan's just a cool guy. So I was like, yeah, Dan, I'll come to your Bible study. Dan, he was a professor, uh, still is. He leads uh, the art department at, at a local community college, and he makes really cool art. I uh, was an artist, and so I was like, well, if he likes art and loves Jesus, then I don't know, just see, see what happens. So I started, we all started piling the Dan Reno's house. And this time, uh, the, the the church was not what it looks like today. It was less refined, right, Braden? It didn't look the same. Uh, the, I don't know, the, the, the college and adult group was probably around 20 people. Uh, and so at that time, all the guys in the college group attended one men's Bible study, and all the ladies attended one ladies' Bible study. So Pastor Dan had all the men over, on Monday nights, and we get into the Word of God. And on the off Monday night, Caroline, his wife, would have all ladies over, and they get into the Word of God. And guys, this time was so exciting, right? We'd drive over to Raytown, Missouri. Like, what's happening in Raytown? Nothing. <laughs> but Bible study was happening in Raytown. So all the guys would pile into Dan's house. And man, you know, whenever I started attending, I didn't know the difference between John the Baptist and, you know, the, the Apostle John. Like I just had no idea what was happening in the Bible. But these guys, they were passionate about the Word of God, and they were learning it, and they were allowing it, and like they weren't faking it. They were truly trusting God to allow the Word of God to transform the way that they were living. And they came, and they were excited, and God, God was talking to them. Like, they weren't preachers. They weren't pastors. They were just 18, 20, 25, 30-year-old men, and they were coming, and they were hearing from God through his word for themselves. I, I, like, I'd never seen anything like it. Like, I thought that was just for the pastor. And so I started coming, and I was challenged that it wasn't just for the pastor to know the word of God, but I, like, if these guys could know the word of God, then truly I could learn the word of God for myself too. And so I started coming, I started digging my nose into this book. It's like, all right, Lord, you got to talk to me just like you're talking to, to, to John Kindler. You got to talk to me just like you're talking to Del Thomas. You got to talk to me just like you're talking to, to Blade Spiza. Like, I want to hear from you. And so, man, we just start going through the word of God and slowly the word gets inside of me. And once it's in you, it can't help but start working its way out of you, right? And suddenly this word is transforming the way I think. It's transforming the, the way I act. Uh, it's transforming even the, the fellowship of people I was around. Like, I was a freshman in college. And I realized that there's some people that I just can't hang out with. I was living in a house with some other guys, and I realized that they're heading a completely different trajectory than me. And if I was going to take my walk with Christ seriously, I need to move out of that house. I had to move back in with my parents. No one wants to move back in with their parents, right? But man, I knew, man, if God's word is true, then I got to follow it. And so slowly, God's word, it just starts becoming a reality in my life. It's changing the way I think. It's changing the way I act. And suddenly... Well, God's word's in me. And the only thing that's been modeled for me is Bible study, right? And so I grow a burden for, for my classmates. And all I know is, man, Bible study, it does a great work. And so all my friends at that time, they were medical students, right? 
Like I, I learned that if I want to look smart, that I just got to surround myself with smart people. And even if I'm not smart, they'll just think, well, you know, you're with medical students, so maybe you're, you're kind of bright. Not true. But so I'm like, all right, y'all, the word of God is awesome. And I was trying to convince them, all right, we got to we got to start a Bible study because you got to get what I'm getting. And so I convinced them that Luke was a medical doctor. Right. And you guys are striving to be medical doctors. And so if you're going to learn something, I mean, Luke's got some profound things to say, not just about medicine, but I got God's word and, and life. We got we to gotta say the book of Luke. You need this in your life. So I convinced some medical students to study the Bible with me. And man, it was good. It was sweet. And I realized, man, I'm burdened for my family. I'm like, all right, well, man, family, we got to we start a family Bible study. We'll just get around the, the, the dining room table and we're going to walk creation to Christ. And we're just going to trust God to, to learn about the person of Jesus Christ. We see some prophetic insights from the Old Testament. It's going to be sweet. And so we open the word of God and, man, we just start letting the word of God do the work of God in our lives. And around this time, Brandon Briscoe, he came in to, to the ministry, he took over, and Dan planted a church in Lee Summit. And uh, we had a, a great, we've got a, a strong group of, of growing leaders. Um, it's probably 60 of us around that time that, the, that they split off. And Brandon came in with a vision for, like, believe this. Brandon's like, hey, guys, we're going to reach Kansas City for Christ. Like, Kansas, like all of Kansas City, we're going to win them with the gospel message. And this entire city is going to be saved. And I believed them. And I still believe them, right? Like, all right, well, if that's what we're going to do, then we got to reach Kansas City. And so we just started cutting people loose. Like, all right, these Bible studies are going to split. You're going to divide. We're going to find just different pockets and nooks and crannies in this city. And we're going to just trust God to get an open book and do the work that only he can do. And so at that time, I, I had stopped going to the uh, University of uh, UMKC. Uh, but I realized that, man, that's a, a strategic place to do ministry. And so me and, and Alvaro and uh, a handful of other guys, we planted a Bible study at UMKC. It was on a Monday night, I believe. And again, we just trusted an open Bible and the word of God to do the work of God. And guess what? God showed up, y'all. And so did other people. And so this group that started out as three or four guys, it started growing and growing. And next thing you know, we've got 10, 15 guys and they're learning the word of God for themselves. And we've got leaders that are growing up and it's like, well, this is no longer intimate. So Seth, how about you lead this Monday night Bible study? And then some of us are going to peel off and we're going to start a Wednesday night Bible study. And so me and Alvaro, we leave Seth and we start a Bible study on Wednesday nights. We start doing the same thing. And guess what? It starts growing. And we're training leaders. It's like, okay, well, Romeo, you lead this Bible study and we'll go plant a Bible study another night of the week. And so we start Thursday night Bible study, right? And we get an open Bible and we invite the lost. And guess what? The word of God does the work of God. And suddenly people are coming. They're getting excited about the Bible. They're growing. They're getting saved. They're, they're becoming leaders. And this keeps happening. Uh, I, I don't know what the count is now. There's probably six or seven men's Bible studies. I product of that, that one Bible study that started at UMKC. And that's not including international men's Bible studies. And so, man, God started doing the great work. And so why do I say all this? Uh, I'm convinced that, again, it's not my intellect, it's not my, 
my, my ability. It's not because I'm smart. It's not like, not because we're, we're flashy. We're definitely not polished. Like that's something that MBT probably will never be, at least as long as I'm around. Uh, but we weren't polished, but God's word, it was just starting to do a work in the lives of, of men. They, they saw their need for, for purpose. They, they saw their need for, for salvation and just God just started doing the work. And so in the context of Bible study, check this out. I started off not knowing the Bible at all, right? So in the context of Bible study, I got established in a fellowship of believers. At Dan's Bible study, there's 10 guys there that became my best friends. Half of them stood by me the day I got married, and I got to stand by them the day that they got married, right? So I got established in the fellowship of believers. In the context of Bible study, I went from being saved but not having a walk with Christ. I was saved for 10 years before I ever started walking with God in his word, right? In the context of Bible study, I started walking with God in the word of God. In the context of Bible study, I was envisioned for the mission, right? All I knew was that an open book does a great work. And so I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know the Bible very well, but I just had to believe that, man, if I can open the book at, at UMKC Med, if I can open the book with my family, God's going to do a work through it. So I, I grew a burden. I grew a heart for, for the mission. And I was given a construct and to, to, to engage the lost in through the context of Bible study. And finally, in the context of Bible study, I began owning the ministry for myself. What was initially Dan's Bible study or Uriah's Bible study, now it was my Bible study. And, and there were men that were coming up that I felt responsible for. And, and I grew a shepherd's heart for them. I, I felt like a father. Like there's a guy named Antonio that, man, is dear to, to me and Alvaro. He calls me Papa Cheadle, right? And, and I got to, to, to marry uh, him and his wife now. But man, I, I got I gained spiritual children in, in, in the process, right? And so now God's going to my heart for people. I feel protective. I, I feel like I need to, to, to nurture. I feel like I need to equip them for the ministry so that they can multiply and do the same. And so guys, the, the bird of my heart is now church planting, right? Man, and again, that's what it produces. Like as we're doing all this, all the things I'm learning is how to, to pastor a flock, right? And so it's conducive to the mission. <clears throat> so, um, man, uh, again, I- I'm excited. The Bible study, uh, it'll challenge you to grow. It'll challenge you in your walk with Christ. It'll engage you in the mission. Uh, it will envision you to serve in a greater capacity than you could have ever imagined. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about, like, wow, we haven't talked about Discovery Bible Method. We're still on the, the interest side. Uh, but but we'll, we'll, we'll dig in. Lord, I do thank you for this time. Uh, I thank you for uh, your word. Again, I, we just can't stop bragging on it. It is incredible. Uh, again, it's quick. It's alive. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you would do a great work this weekend uh, as we just take your words and, and trust you to run with it. And so we, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, one of the things I want to stress and emphasize is that methodology is nothing, right? So at the end of the day, Prayer, faith, and obedience, that's the goal. And so the methods over time, they'll come and go, they'll change. Uh, but the word of God, prayer, faith, and obedience to God's word, like as long as you're there, we're solid, we're, we're grooving. Uh, but one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that methodology does have a role, right? Methodology is very, very important. And, and the case study is the life of Paul. If we study the book of Acts, you see, the first thing, what's the first thing that Paul does when he enters a city? 
Where's he go? I, I hear. Hmm. All right, yeah. He goes to the synagogue. Right? This is his methodology. He enters a city and he goes to the synagogue and he finds Jewish people that are familiar with the word of God and he starts preaching Christ, right? And then from there, if he's rejected, he goes in the house. Like he's got a system in place that he knows that I'm going to work this. As soon as I go into the city, I'm going to find people that are familiar with God's word. I'm going to trust God to open and to reveal Christ and move from there, right? And we see him do this over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And so we see that, that a methodology is important. We see that, that Paul worked a method. And Discovery Bible Method, it's simply a method. Uh, and in a culture where people are increasingly apprehensive to, to church, where, where media is completely opposed to Christianity, uh, I find that people are still actually curious in the Bible. And while they might be reserved to attend a church service, they'd be willing to meet with you one-on-one or come to your house for a Bible study. And so rather than waiting on a lost person just to stumble into your church, we have to go out and reach them. These same people that mock and ridicule the Bible, well, most of them have never read a Bible. And so whenever you actually open the word of God, man, people stand astonished. They can't believe that an ancient book written for, for, for parts of it thousands of years ago, it's relevant to their life today. It, it speaks in a way uh, that, that, that lines up with, with manuscript evidence, with history, right? It, it speaks to the thoughts and intents of my heart. Like this book, it reads you. It's incredible. And so whenever we get an open Bible, people stand astonished. And so inviting someone into Bible study can be a more disarming setting that allows for a first-time visitor to know that they're loved, right? Oftentimes when you come into a church, man, maybe, you know, it's a big crowd of people and you feel like you're around a lot of people and you don't know any of them. So don't even know if you're welcome, if you're loved. In the context of Bible study, there's no way that you can be missed, right? So you got seven guys there. Hey, John, man, we're, we're so glad that you're here. Hey, John, you got to meet all these guys. And suddenly we got seven hooks in them, right? So it's a place where, where people know that they're loved, where they can be known, where they can actually engage for themselves. Again, man, I'm so thankful for the, the preaching that we get. But really, it's not an interactive service, right? We've got a, a preacher that presents God's word to us in the context of Bible study. Now, the, the first-time visitor can engage and say, hey, slow down. I didn't understand what you guys just said there, right? And now he can help control the pace of this to make sure that they're gaining understanding. So the first-time visitor, they get to engage. They get to, to ask questions. They get to, to ask for, for you to clarify a statement. They, they, they get to say, wow, that's incredible. And now you know what points to follow on. And so there's engagement that happens in the context of Bible study. And finally, again, the, the ability for them to, to ask questions. And so, uh, again, uh, this is simply a methodology. Uh, there, there's a philosophy that, that we like here at MBT to kind of present in the context of, of Discovery Bible Method. If you want to go to the next slide. So <clears throat> philosophy of Bible study, uh, the, the, the first point is going to be planting Bible studies. It extends the arms of your church into your community. And I kind of explained this a little bit earlier, but but suddenly the church that meets at 40th and Walnut in this one building, it gets to to invade the the nooks and crannies of your city. It gets to seep into workplaces, into your neighborhoods, into campuses. It's a way of taking what God is doing here in this place and penetrating different parts of the city and interjecting God's word into different areas. Now, we don't have time to, to look at it, but we can see in Acts chapter 8, this dude named Philip. 
Philip is the only person in your Bible that's referred to as an evangelist. Right? So if you want to learn something about evangelism, look at the person of Philip. And what does he do? He takes the word of God to Samaria and he opens it up. And y'all, ministry is booming, right? And so we get to use the word of God in the context of Bible study. And we get to, 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 to extend the arms of our church into the different nooks and crannies of our city. Point two, paying Bible studies makes owning the mission tangible and accountable at your church. Uh, it, it's interesting, you know, this is a, a safe place to, 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 to do ministry um, and allows you to engage in the same type of work that you'll be doing on the mission field. Uh, I find that in a lot of churches, leadership roles, uh, there's a bottleneck for leadership, right? There's just only so many spots. And, and so if you're not careful to produce new opportunities for, for leaders to, to grow, to exercise their gifting, then you're actually limiting the growth that can happen in the context of your church. But the cool thing about Bible study is we can have, well, we can never have enough of them, right? And so as people are growing and maturing and exhibiting signs of being fruitful, we can send and engage them. And it looks like saying, hey, go to that neighborhood across town, right? Start a Bible study. And so suddenly, Planning Bible studies makes owning the mission tangible and accountable for your members in the context of your church. Uh, planning Bible studies prepares growing leaders to become shepherds. Uh, I think about uh, Acts 18. We see this awesome ministry duo in Aquila and Priscilla. And what do they do? Man, they expound the word of God more perfectly to this dude, Apollo. Right? They, they received of Paul. And now, after being under him in ministry, now they're equipped to, to lead and to do the same, right? And so you take your, your best, you take your brightest, and, and proactively you start sending them to, to places where they can start exercising their gifting. And now these people, uh, they, they get to, to lead a, a group of young men, young women. They get to, to learn how to cast vision. Uh, they get to, to learn how to counsel, and, and they get to gain a father's heart. They get to gain a shepherd's heart. And lastly, planning a Bible study prepares people for the work of church planting. They get to trust God to do the same exact things that a church planter is trusting God for, right? They, they get to take a group of people, and it's, it's adventurous. It's evangelical. It requires vision. It requires prayer. It requires a burden for God to do something that only he can do. You know, and, and we've got, you know, 20 year olds in our ministry that, that are learning this now. And many of us, 30, 40, 50 years old, we're, we're, we're just now getting this, right? But man, we've got young people that are learning how, how to, to have a heart for the loss and not just have a heart for it, but to actually engage the loss and to, to open the book and how to counsel through the word of God and, and how to cast vision for, for a group of people. Like this produces church plans, right? Uh, I think about Living Faithly Summit. Again, Pastor Dan's church, uh, it started off as a Bible study here. Pastor Dan, he, he was conducting a Bible study in Lee Summit, and that Bible study started growing and growing and growing. And eventually we said, hey, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right? And so, man, that's how we planted a church in Lee Summit, is we just started getting people around the Word of God, and the Word of God started doing the work of God, and people were falling the fruit and said, all right, well, Lord, clearly you're planning a church here. And so no one was surprised when we planted a church in Lee Summit because that was a work that God was clearly already doing. And so, uh, again, just kind of a philosophical framework for, for, for why Bible studies. 
but what do we mean by Bible study? Uh, again, I find that this is a very interesting topic that in a lot of churches, Bible study means a lot of different things. In a lot of churches, Bible study means a lot of different things. And uh, what I find is that in most churches, the idea of Bible study, uh, well, it was given up on a long time ago, right? But the shell of Bible study ha has remained in place. Uh, and so they might be different names. Instead of a Bible study, it might be uh, a cell team. It might be a life group. It might be a community group. Uh, but what they're not is a Bible study. And again, the distinguishing factor of a Bible study is the, the idea of the Word of God being central to the gathering, right? And so there's nothing wrong with the names, but the evolution of Bible study has also led to the removal of the Bible in, in a lot of these groups and gatherings, right? They, they'll do Beth Moore studies, right? They'll do uh, Francis Chan studies, and not knocking on anybody, but these Bible studies, they instead of being Bible studies, they become book clubs, right? Yeah. They, they become book clubs about Jesus being your boyfriend, like <laughs> whatever, right? Uh, they become hangouts, you know? Instead of cracking the word of God open, well, this is really just a community group where we have fellowship, you know? That's what, that's what we say, it's fellowship time. And so the ladies, they get together and they, they, they capitalize on the, their liberties and they, they watch chick flicks and drink wine, right? The guys, they get together and pop open a couple of brewskis and, and watch the fight or, or, or watch football. And suddenly, what used to be Bible study are these community groups that we say is fellowship. But really, it's just hanging out, right? It's just hanging out. It's not accomplishing anything for the mission. They gather together and, you know, you know, maybe it's they, they, they get together and, and, and half the time is prayer requests, which are really just pseudo gossip sessions, right? Oh man, you got to pray for sister so-and-so because yada, yada, yada. You know, you got to pray for, you know, Auntie Vicky because yada, yada. Man, is this prayer session or is this gossip session, right? They become pseudo gossip sessions and, and, and just time to talk about our feelings, right? Oh, this is just time where I've got a captive audience where I can just unload on them everything that I feel in me, right? But what's not present is an open Bible, and it's inconsequential to most people. And so what do we mean when we say Bible study? Well, when we say Bible study, it needs to be a gathering where the Word of God is at the very center of it, right? The Bible has to be central. Every Bible study should have a culture that asserts the Bible as a solution for, for all things in life, right? You're coming in, maybe you do feel this way. It's okay. The Word of God has an answer for you. We have to believe that the Word of God is sufficient. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4, through four, it says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things pertaining unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him, have called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Right? And we got some precious promises in this book. All things pertaining unto life and godliness are here. 
In Psalm 19, we've got this this beautiful exposition by the psalmist. He talks about the sufficiency of the word of God. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, it's pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Do you know that the word of God, it's sufficient, right? That's a lot of stuff that the word of God is. It's a lot of stuff. And man, we got to trust that to be true in our lives. And so every Bible study leader should be equipped to support a proper biblical hermeneutic, right? We got to know how to divide the book. And I say this because there's so many churches that, that, that look for, for qualified leaders and just people that are willing to open up their house, right? Oh, you're willing to open up a house and let seven people come into it? Stamp of approval, right? No, man, we got to ha- have a higher standard than that. The, the person that's leading Bible study, he should have a proper biblical hermeneutic. Why? Because the Bible is central to the gathering, right? And we can't let people use and abuse the scriptures. <clears throat> and so the prerequisite should be people that have a baseline understanding of God's word to protect God's flock and to defend his word in the context of Bible study because there will be people that challenge it. And so the question is, can you guide people and teach others to use a, a biblical hermeneutic? I just think about the context of Bible study that I've had with Alvaro. Me and Alvaro have been in Bible study together for, I don't know, we're in the four years maybe. Uh, there's one guy I'm thinking of. I don't know if you're in this Bible study, if you're in Columbia or not. We had a, a guy that was uh, a Hare Krishna. He gets there with the orange Hare Krishna people. No. Uh, be eastern religious system i guess uh similar to to hinduism and he was interested in coming to bible study for with us we're like oh sweet we're interested in the word of god to do the work of god and it became very clear very quickly that he was looking for a platform to hijack right and this is going to happen man if you're opening up the word of god and inviting people in some people just see that as an opportunity for their soapbox Are you equipped with the word of God to navigate when different doctrinal things come in and oppose what the word of God clearly says? Whether it be, uh, you know, Calvinistic doctrines, whether it be Reformed theology, whether it be um, uh, charismatic theology, like you'll see it all. And you have to be equipped to, again, protect the flock of God and defend God's word. And so, again, the, the word of God has to be central. Next, prayer centered. Why? Because we have to be dependent on the Lord. If this is going to be evangelical, then we got to call on God to do a mighty work. In Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that built it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So prayer has to be center stage because prayer activates the ministry. Right? This is the engine. This is, this is the fuel. And so you should pray whenever you gather together. You know, for, for our Bible studies, we, we begin the Bible study in prayer and we end the Bible study in prayer. It is a capstone to everything that we do, right? And in our church services, we, we begin the church service in prayer, we end the church service in prayer. It is a capstone to everything that we do because we're dependent on God to do a mighty work. Again, we, we saw Revelation chapter 3. We saw the, the church at Philadelphia. They're weak. They can't accomplish anything, right? God's got to show up. He's got to open the door. And so we approach him in prayer, trusting him to do work that only he can do. And so in context of Bible study, man, in Kaya, all the Bible studies, they have WhatsApps, right? He is on WhatsApp. It's like the best thing and the worst thing in the world. 
Because once you get it, you know, you're in one chat and then you're in 50 chats. Um, but man, the, the, the Kaya Bible State chats are awesome because throughout the week, we get to post prayer requests, we get to post praises. And man, I know that I've got brothers that are lifting me up in prayer, right? I know that there are people that have my back and they're taking, you know, the, 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 my concerns, the, the things, the, the people I'm trusting God for, they're, they're taking them to the person of God on my behalf. And the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much, right? James 5. And so, man, uh, we have to be people of prayer. Because it's only through prayer that any work's going to get done. And I think about Genesis 18. This is one of my favorite passages in the, in the entire Bible. Uh, but I don't know that we have time to, to turn there for time's sake. Um, but we see that, that Abraham, uh, he's just burdened for, for his brother, for his nephew Lot, right? Not Lot's living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and one of the things that happens whenever you have a walk with Christ is God gives you some insights, right? And so Jesus, he slows down and is like, hey, I'm going to clue you in on my plans and what's coming. Destruction is coming for Sodom and Gomorrah. He starts pleading with God, just begging, bartering, right? And, and we see God, I mean, at the end of it, you know, it starts off for, for him just trusting God for, for, for 50 righteous men, but he works them all the way down to 10, right? And at the end of it, God just walks away. But what we see is that that Abraham, he never reached the bottom of God's grace, right? God's like, yeah, whatever. And we see God's grace extend to the person of Lot. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? Even for someone like, 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 like Lot, whose soul was vexed, right, from just the lust of this world. And so, again, we have to be uh, just desperate and dependent on God through prayer in the context of Bible study. Um, Bible study, uh, what we mean by Bible study is leadership development. Again, Bible study has to be discipleship. It has to be a training grounds for ministry. Uh, again, I think about uh, so many churches, uh, you know, the primary objective of, of Bible study is just getting guys together and to nerd out in the Bible together, right? So you get up. So th there's a, a seminary here in town, and me and my wife have got some really good friends that went to that seminary, and they go to a church that all the people in seminary go to, which sounds awesome, but it's like the worst thing in the world because you got all these theologians in one spot, the only care about talking about the Bible to each other and have no concern for the mission at all, right? And so you go to their Bible study and it's all these guys greeking out on the, the Greek lexicon and yada, 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 and the original, like barf, right? They're all nerding out on the word of God and there's no lost people coming in. They're, they're not inviting their neighbors, right? They're just geeking out in their heads. Guess what? They're just swelling. Their heads are getting so big and lopsided and it becomes like this peacock show where it's like, I know the Bible better than you, right? And they're just all there trying to prove something to each other, right? They don't care about a walk with Christ and God actually speaking to them and being convicted by his word and allowing it to actually change the way that they walk and live and engage the lost. They're just there to nerd out and to bro out. Like, no, it can't be that, right? Man, Bible says it's got to be leadership development. 2 Timothy 2.2, all the things that thou hast heard of me amongst many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to do what? Teach others also. So in the context of Bible study, we get to train and equip leaders. And this is the funnest part. Like for me, man, we got young men coming in. They're passionate about God's word. And now we get to, to give them more responsibilities. We get to, to help them see what we're seeing. Hey, man, did you notice that, that new guy that was at Bible study today? It's been a busy week for me. Can you follow up with him and maybe grab hear his story, but 
here and we want them to keep coming. Now I get to delegate responsibilities. I get to envision people for the ministry. I get to challenge them. Hey, hey, you know, Joey came last time and you could tell that he's a little bit quiet. Do you think he, he understands how to study the Bible? Would you be willing to walk with him through the passage before the next Bible study? Right now I get to discharge and give people missions to engage visitors and to, to grow in a heart of a shepherd. And, and, you know, and two weeks from now, hey guys, I'm gonna be here, but man, you're just growing in your ability to, to stay God's word. What'd be really cool is if, if you led Bible study next time. What if we met up throughout the week and I can just show you how I prepare for Bible study and then you can lead Bible study next time and I'll be here. So you'll have a safety blanket behind you. But, but we're for you. And man, I think that God's really going to grow you through this, right? And now we get to, to empower and we get to engage the members in our Bible studies that are faithful, man, to, to grow, to explore their gifting, to, to, to grow in a, a shepherd's heart. And the best part about it is now I'm not owning the work myself, right? We get to share the load. And so it's just the best. Next thing you know, they're, they're leading Bible studies and planting churches and, you know, going to Saigon. And it's like, oh, man, look what God's doing through them, right? I saved my thousands, but they're saying they're 10,000s, and that's what we want. Uh, accountability, right? Bible study, it's a place for, for empathy, encouragement, exhortation. Uh, again, so often knowledge of the Bible puffs us up. We become just arrogant jerks. Uh, but this is not a place just to, to, to flex our biblical knowledge on everybody. This is a place that, that, that should be a nurturing, vulnerable, empathetic you know, environment uh, where we promote listening and, and loving each other. You know, accountability, uh, it's an invitation that's received, right? You, you can't hold someone accountable unless they, they want to be accountable. Uh, and so, uh, again, uh, through the, uh, the context of Bible study, we get to, to extend invitations for accountability in a real and genuine and meaningful way, right? <clears throat> yeah, I just think about the stories I've heard, you know, this guy is coming to Bible study, He's quiet. He's there all the time. Uh, he's got marriage problems. He's got financial issues. Uh, and he's bottled up. He doesn't share it with anybody. Whenever we ask a prayer request, he just says life's good, right? And then out of nowhere, you know, after a couple of years, everybody's surprised when, you know, he leaves his wife or he's caught cheating or, or whatever. Why? Because there's no true accountability in the context of Bible study. They just gathered and left. And man, we weren't actually being intimate with one another. And the Bible study has to be a place of intimacy and vulnerability where true accountability can take place. That only happens at the level that you let it and that you invite it, right? Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And lastly, evangelical. Again, uh, the, the, the goal of Bible study is just to gather a bunch of church people together, for, at least for us. The, the goal of Bible study is to reach and engage the lost. It's, it's evangelical, right? With an open book. So with this goal, uh, again, it's not gathering a bunch of theologians just to nerd out. Uh, ideally, in the context of our Bible study, it'd be 50%, you know, believers that are engaged in the mission, that are engaged in the church, 50% people that, that aren't even saved yet. Like, that'd be awesome. We had a group of, you know, 10 guys gathering. Five of them were believers just desperately praying for the other five to, to receive God's word for themselves and to, to be saved, right? And so that's what we're trusting God for, is that our Bible says aren't just a bunch of Christians getting together, but maybe they'd be half Christians and, and half people that don't even know that they're saved, right? That'd be ideal, right? Because then we could see God work in their lives. 
And so uh, the expectation is that we'd have lost people coming and before they're even saved, they're learning the Bible and they're engaging with the Bible. And, and you know, we're, we're doing word studies in the context of Bible study. And they're saying, well, I think that, that, that grace means this, right? I think that, you know, when I'm reading this passage, man, it, it says that there's nothing that can separate me from the, the love of Christ. And lost people are saying these profound statements and you're like, man, it's a slippery slope, right? This guy, like, he's about to get saved. He doesn't even know it yet, right? He's learning God's heart for him, and it's exciting. And so Bible says they have to be evangelical. Think about Acts 8, you see the Ethiopian eunuch. And this guy, he just gets an open Bible with the Ethiopian eunuch, starts preaching Christ, right? Through, through Isaiah 53. And boom, what must I do to be saved? Like, what's going to hinder me from getting baptized, right? Oh, man, just go jump in the river. Not like, yes, right? And so, man, we, we've got to have a, a heart for evangelism with our Bible studies. Uh, and so it begs the question, well, what are we looking for in leaders? <clears throat> what are we looking for in leaders for, for these Bible studies? This is the hardest part. What I find is that in our fellowship of churches, all of us lean towards teaching, right? Man, we just got some preaching churches. We got great pastors, great preachers, and it's like, man, we love, we can't get enough of it. But, but what we're trusting God for in the context of Bible study is not teachers. We're trusting God for facilitators, facilitators, people that can clear path for the lost and saved to discover personal truths about God directly from his word, right? That's the goal in the context of leading Bible study is that we can just clear a path for the word of God to do the work of God for both saved and unsaved believers or people alike to come and we just clear a path for them to discover, again, discovery Bible method. So we're trusting God that they would discover truths out of God's word for themselves. And so you have to be prepared to ask questions. And these questions give space for the word of God to preach, right? You have to be prepared to ask good questions. And these questions, they give the word of God the ability to preach in the people's lives. <clears throat> and so what are we looking for out of these leaders? We're looking for men and women that are proven. And so these people, they should be faithful, right? They should be people that, that are probably already in your Bible study. They're already in your ministry. And, and they're faithfully there. They're already contributing. Right? You're not looking to go hire some outside person to come in and lead Bible study. You want to know that they're people of character. right? You want to know that they're faithful. You want to know that they're just. You want to know that they're honest, like we were talking about last night. You want to know that they're, they're proven. Uh, Jay gave such a, a beautiful um, kind of chain on, on that idea of being proven uh, last night. He, he took us to 1 Samuel 17, uh, and we looked at the person of David, right? And Saul's trying to give David his armor to take on Goliath. He's like, nah, man, I can't wear this. Why? Because it's not proven. Right? This armor, it hasn't been tested. It's I haven't taken this to the field. I, I, can I trust this, right? I got this sling that, the, you know, that can slay giants, so I'm, I'm good with this. Uh, it took us to, to Daniel chapter 1, verse 14, and, and we see Daniel, again, th this man that's like, hey, no, I'm not going to eat at the king's table. 
Like, just, just trust me, prove me out on this, right? And so what we're looking for in leaders are people that are proven. Uh, proving requires observation, right? So the people that, that are probably already in your ministry, that you've been able to observe that they're faithful and that they're people of upstanding character. <clears throat> Next, one of the things that we look for is people that have been through D2 or Foundations 2 and 3 or MTT or, or whatever you call it at, at your church, right? Uh, but this is kind of the, the, the leadership level training after discipleship. And so in D2, you learn the character qualities of a man and woman of God. Why do we want that? Because if you're leading Bible study, you want you to be people of character. Right? We want you to look at, 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 at Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 and see what, what God expects of leaders in the church. We want that to be true of you. We want people to, to, to know a philosophy of ministry. We want people to, to understand how to study the Bible. We want people to, to be familiar with apparent contradictions in the Bible. We want people to be confident that they can stand on this as their final authority. And so again, one of the things that we are looking for in leaders are people that have been through D2, that next level leadership training. And that's one way that we get to prove people out, right? Another thing that we look for and again, these are all principles. I'd say that there's always exceptions. One of the things that we look for are, are people that are successfully discipled, right? Uh, I think about just the, the, the character qualities of, of a bishop. And the testimony is that you can't rule, if you can't rule your own household well, well, how are you going to rule the household of God, right? And so discipleship, it's a really big deal. It's a proving grounds in ministry. If you can disciple one person, how are you going to disciple 10 people in the context of Bible study, Right? And so through discipleship, people gain a father's heart for people, right? They, they, they feel responsible for the, their, their spiritual maturing, for, for their investment. And, and it's a great character quality that, that gets to be proven out for the context of discipleship. And lastly, we prefer that people have gone through biblical counseling training. Uh, this is a selfish objective uh, because as the ministry can, begins to grow and to multiply, again, what, what started out as one Bible study at Dan's house is now, how many Bible studies we have in Kaya, Alvaro? 60? I don't think we have that many, is there? Okay, I was like, those are Baptist numbers. <laughs> Let's say 41. That's a lot of Bible studies, right? And so you can imagine 40 Bible studies with, you know, seven to 10 people in it. Man, the, the potential for the counting load of Pastor Brandon Briscoe can you even imagine that? Like 300 college students that are like stressed out trying to figure out life. You know, what's my career going to be? I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Uh, I'm trusting God for, for a wife. I'm trusting God for a husband. I just want time. Like, man, the counseling load for a group that size, like that will drain you out, right? You turn to Exodus 18, we see Moses with the much larger counseling we see a principle that we can derive here. In Exodus 18, Moses gets some, some great insight from his father-in-law. says in 13, it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. From the morning unto the evening. 
from the morning unto the eve that's man moses was a full-time counselor y'all and when moses father-in-law saw all that he did to the people he said what is this thing that thou doest to the people why sittest thyself alone like haven't you heard of discipleship moses why are you sitting alone and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening from morning unto from morning unto evening and moses said unto his father-in-law because the people come unto me to inquire of god I, man i'm the man of god right oh man there's got to be many men and women of god in our ministry right that can give an answer when they have a matter they come unto me and i judge between one and another and i do make them know the statutes of god and his laws and moses father-in-law said unto him this is just profound the thing that thou doest is not good that will surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee for this thing is too heavy for thee thou art not able to perform it thyself alone hearken now unto my voice i will give thee counsel right everybody's seeking you for counsel let me give you some counsel moses right i will give thee counsel and god shall be with thee be thou for the people to god word that thou mayest bring the causes unto god and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the uh, the work that they must do moreover thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear god right man they've got to fear the lord men of truth right? they've got to be honest hating covetousness and us over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of ten and let them judge the people at all seasons and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee but every small matter they shall judge so it shall be easier for thyself and they shall bear the burden with thee they shall bear the burden with thee they shall bear i get to bear the burden with pastor brandon Biscoe, right Man, in, in the context of FOI, we've got nine Bible studies. And I get to see nine, oversee nine Bible studies. These are the things that are happening in the context of nine Bible studies that gets reported up to me. And man, if there's things that need to be elevated from there, I get to take it to Brandon. If there are things that need to be elevated from there, I take it to Pastor Sam. If Sam needs something, well, he takes it to the Lord, right? And man, we're, we're lucky, man. Pastor Sam, he, he's got Pastor Alan Shelby. And Pastor Alan Shelby is really smart. And I've seen Pastor Sam pick up the phone and say, hey, Alan, I got a question, right? Man, praise the Lord, our pastors are accountable. But, but the principle being here is that we're always discipling at every level in ministry. And so, man, again, leading Bible study, we're trusting God that they would be equipped to counsel because we want them to counsel. We want them to take a load off of myself, which can take a load off of Brandon, which can take a load after, off of Pastor Sam. All of us, we're just under shepherds, right? We're, we're just under shepherds. And so these are some of the, you know, uh, again, some, some of the things that we're looking for and leaders that we'll put in place in uh, the context of, of Bible study. Uh, we're running out of time. Okay. Now, the method. And I was like, what? I thought we were talking about this the whole time. So discovery Bible method, how to. <clears throat> uh, this is nice. We'll get to work 
we'll, we'll fly through the how-to, uh, but you'll get to work it out tomorrow in, in the context of our workshop. Uh, and so ask questions uh, tomorrow or today afterwards, um, but uh, how to lead Discovery Bible Method. So first is leader preparation. Uh, the person that's leading the Bible study, they should study the passage for themselves in advance. What this looked like for me, whenever I was leading Bible study, is we'd have a two-week gap between Bible studies. So we had a bi-month or bi-weekly Bible study, right? We'd meet every other week. And so I didn't really study the passage in depth per se, but I read the passage every day for two weeks. Every day I'd wake up and I'd read the passage and God would show me things here and there over two weeks. And then the day before, I'd put together the things that God taught me, right? So in that time, I got to ask myself, what are problem passages in the text? What are the, the, the parts of the passage that people will have questions about? What are the words here that people will not understand? How would I break this section up so that we can tackle the passage in chunks and in digestible bits throughout the, the evening? And so in that personal time of study, one of the things I do is I would pray that God would reveal himself to me and to, to our group, right? And so that time for two weeks is a time of prayer. Lord, we're going to be in Exodus 13 in two weeks. God, we got to meet with you. You got to show up, right? Well, as I'm reading this passage, you reveal to me truths that will, will minister and edify these men whenever we gather. So I'm trusting God to, to reveal things to me. Uh, again, I'm trusting God to, to be able to, to outline the passage into to, to chunks, right? So we're going to be in verses 1 through 5 for the first part. We're going to be in verses 6 through 12 for the next part. And then we're going to conclude with verses 13 through 17. And these are going to break the passage into digestible chunks that we can focus on as we move through that highlight key themes, just like a pastor would do whenever he's presenting a sermon, right? Like I think about Jay Shug last night. He broke it down, and you could see very clearly from his outline how he chunked the passage and separated key themes from the passage. Well, you get to be just like a pastor. You get to break down the passage into different chunks. Just like, yeah, thank you, Alvaro. Boom, exhibit A, right? And so in the passage, we get to break down chunks. We get to identify key themes. And one of the other things that you might do you might write down some key cross-references. Over two weeks, man, whenever I read this, it reminds me of this passage. Whenever I read this, I was actually reading in Isaiah, you know, a, a week ago, and it reminds me of this. So you get to start putting in, again, just some, some rough structure, some rough outlines in preparation. And lastly, the, the hardest part of preparation, for me at least, uh, was taking time to write questions taking time to write questions. Because my default is to do this. All right, I got a captive audience. I'll just, I'll preach at you, right? Man, this is what God showed me. Blah, right? But we don't want to preach at people in the context of Bible study. We want everybody to discover the word of God for themselves. And so as little as I can teach, the better. I'd much rather ask questions that lead people to revealing truths in the word of God for themselves, right? And so how do I take time to, to craft questions that promote dialogue and that promote people revealing truth out of God's word? That's the hardest part for me in terms of preparation. 
is, all right, what are some key questions I need to ask that will facilitate conversation and that will facilitate people finding and discovering truth? <clears throat> Next, whenever we gather together, we read the passage. So that was preparation, preparing for Bible study. Whenever you gather, the first thing that you'll do is pray, right? Because we need God to be with us. Uh, but whenever you're done praying, the next thing that you're going to do is you're going to read the passage. And the way that we go about this is we gather together. I was watching something the other day. You guys know who Jeff Bezos is? Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. But one of the things that he does whenever he goes into a meeting is he prints off a memo. And for the first 30 minutes of the reading, or of the, the memo, the first 30 minutes of the meeting, he just has everybody read the memo. Because he knows that all these people are busy and half of them didn't read it. The ones that did might have skimmed it. And so he wants everybody to be on the same page whenever they get together. And so he works into the meeting, the first part of it, for everybody to, to take the memo and to go through, read it, write questions, and everybody gets on the same page. And so again, in the context of Bible study, if we're trusting God for this to be evangelical, then we can't assume that some lost person is going to show up just read the passage. Or a first-time visitor shows up and they're lost, they have no idea what's going on. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to level set it and everybody's going to read the same passage to yourself. Just take time, read it, understand it, process it, right? And we're all going to get on the same page. We're all going to read it. Next, we're going to read it together. So first, we're going to read it by ourselves. Next, we're going to read it together. And we'll popcorn it, right? We'll do one verse at a time, or we'll break it out. And hey, this passage is, you know, 15 verses, and there's five of us. So everybody gets three verses. You have to do math. <clears throat> but this gives everybody an opportunity to engage with every word, one, and engage with the, engage with the, the text multiple times before we start the Bible study, right? So it level sets so that any visitor, they won't feel like they're stepping into, uh-oh, what's going on? They get to catch up with everybody else and everybody gets to engage with the text multiple times before you start your study. Next, before we really dive into the study, uh, one of the things that the, the facilitator will do is he'll start asking questions to uncover the theme of the passage. After everybody's read it, one of the first things that you'll do is say, hey guys, what themes did we see in the passage that we just read? And what I love about this is that it, it, it encourages people to participate immediately. And this is low-hanging fruit. Any, even a first-time visitor with reading the passage, they can identify themes, right? And so this is in case it, uh, encourages um, contribution from the very, very beginning. Uh, one of the, the, the key things that we do, though, is as people contribute themes, we want to ask them, well, great, where do you see that in the passage? Right? Because what can easily happen in the context of Bible study, people just insert their thoughts, their opinions, what, whatever, into the Word. And it becomes about more about their emotions and what they're experiencing. Or, you know, I feel this way whenever I read this passage. Well, where does it actually say that in the passage? Why? Because the Bible 
has to be authoritative. It has to be true. And it has to be central to everything that we're doing. And so we're going to say, hey, well, what themes do you see in this passage? And Rebecca's going to say, you know what? Whenever I read this passage, man, I think, I think it's about God's grace. Like, I see God's grace all over this passage. Actually, you know, I read it, I counted it, and grace is mentioned five times in this passage. That's a lot. And then Joe's going to say, yeah, I see what you, you say about grace, but man, it seems like grace and love, they're kind of tied together here. And so I think that this passage is about God's love towards us. And, and I see that in verse 13, where it says, you know, and so, man, people are getting to share what key themes they're saying in the passage. And, and what you get to do as a facilitator is after people are done sharing, you get to say, wow, that's great. And you get to affirm what people are sharing, right? And you get to summarize the, the different themes that people said. It sounded like in the passage, you guys saw a theme of, of God's grace. You also saw a theme of God's love. You guys got, saw a theme of, you know, of whatever. And you get to, to make that clear. So now as we work through the passage, we get to look for these themes throughout, throughout the text. Okay, guys? Yeah, okay. So you're going to start uh, by just uh, extolling God's word as central to everything, working out some key themes that we'll see as we work through the passage. And what it does is it immediately engages everybody to, to engage in conversation, to be a part of the Bible study. Again, whether it's their first time or they've been there 500 times. And so it produces engagement. The next part of the Bible study is going to be us dissecting the passage. And this is where it gets really fun, right? So from there, you've already chunked out the passages. And so you're going to attack one chunk at a time. And usually, I'll designate, I'll say, Alvaro, can you read the first chunk out loud for us again? And he'll read it. And then we'll just attack that one chunk. And the focus here has to be on doctrine. The focus here has to be on doctrine. So often, people are immediately looking for personal and inspirational takeaways. And that's great, but those have to come out of clear doctrine, right? Doctrine precedes any application. We have to see what the clear teaching is so we can know how to apply it in our lives. And so we'll, we'll chunk each section, we'll discuss each section. And remember, the facilitator, they have to be ready and armed to ask questions that provoke, provoke people to study. Uh, I think this is the most challenging part. Uh, you know, one of the things that we'll do, we'll have blue letter Bible or concordance at the ready. And, and we'll come across some word that, that's difficult, that doesn't. You know, that's not commonly used in, in our vernacular. And, and I'll say, hey, does anybody know what this word means? And they'll say, no, I didn't look that up. Okay, well, right now, we're going to do a word study. Can someone look up in Concordance Blue Letter Bible the first mention of this word, you know? And so now we're going to do a word study together as a group. So again, as a facilitator, we get to do some fun stuff. We get to do word studies. Uh, we get to prepare just to, to, to ask challenging questions. Um, and we get to do, to do these things in, in the context of, of the, the Bible study. And so one of the things that every Bible study leader needs to be equipped with uh, is the ability to, to, to model Bible study principles. The ability to model Bible study principles. And what I've learned is that if you don't know the Bible study principles, 
then it's very likely that you're not using the bind state principles, right? If you don't know them, then you're probably not using them in your own setting. And so in the context of Bible study, we get to challenge people to look up the, the first mention of a word, we get to, to challenge people to understand what are the people groups in this passage. We have to challenge people to, to, to look at uh, phrases that have like or as in them. We have to challenge people to consider, well, do we take a direct statement or a question? Right? We get to ask them these questions about very foundational Bible study principles, and we get to start applying them in the context of Bible study. Guess what? You do that week after week after week after week, and you think you're being annoying because guys are like, man, we get it. Context is a, you know, the most important principle of Bible study. But guess what? Then they start learning these principles of Bible study, and they come secondhand nature. And suddenly, when they're saying the Bible, they're just applying these principles of Bible study, right? And they're learning to have a biblical hermeneutic in the context of Bible study. And so you have to be prepared, you have to be ready to, to, to know and to model these Bible study principles as they come up in passages uh, in, in the context of, of your study. You want these principles to become second nature for yourself and second nature for your group. And so if you don't know them by heart, I encourage all of you, uh, buy the, the keys of Bible study. Um, you know, go back to your D2 notes, write them out. And then have them with you as you're studying the Bible. So you can start identifying principles as you're studying and using them. It's going to make you a better teacher, a better facilitator. It's going to make you a better Bible student. And now, because you know them and you're using them, you'll be able to model that for others to know them and use them as well. It's key. You want to encourage people to take notes. You want to encourage people to ask questions, right? This is a safe place for people to ask questions and there's no dumb questions, right? We'll be working through the book of Acts and people will ask a question, well, man, it seems like they did this sign gift here. Uh, we don't talk about that, you know, do, is that for today or not? If so, then, then, then why? Why not? You know, we get to encourage people to ask questions. Like that could be a scary question to ask, especially someone that maybe comes from a charismatic background, but we want them to be with us. We want them to learn the Bible too, right? And so we encourage those questions. Why? Not because we're awesome, because we have to believe that God's word has answers. And so we get to dive back in the word of God and we say, wow, that's a great question. Man, let me take you to the book of 1 Corinthians. And we can learn some biblical principles that are going to change the way that we live out and, and walk in ministry. Finally, <clears throat> takeaways. So again, you, you dissect the passage and you work through it. The goal is to find key teachings that we see in the passage, these clear doctrines. And once we find clear doctrines, clear teachings in the passage, now we have something that's true to, to apply in terms of application, right? Doctrine has to precede application. Because if we don't know what the passage is teaching, then we're going to misapply it to our lives. And so after we work through the passage, we end by asking, what are you personally going to take away from this passage? What are you personally going to take away from this passage? If it's not practical, it's not preaching, right? Like if this doesn't actually impact the way that we live, that we walk, then we're just holding a book club. And guess what? I don't want to hold a book club. Like I want to gather with people and trust the word of God to transform my life. And it will if we let it. But man, we've got to find points of application as we study a passage. We have to find points of application as we study a passage. Um, you know, I think of, uh, 
um, me and my, my wife went to Dallas uh, and we, there's a, a fantastic sister there na- named Angela. And one of the things that we did while we were there is we just had a Bible study with her. And me and my wife, we went to college campus before. We met this girl named Corinne. We're like, Corinne, you should come to Bible study. So Corinne, she came to Bible study. What? And so we got a visitor. We're excited. We're sitting the Passover, right? I was like, oh, man, you know, got to apply the, the, the blood of the lamb to the posts and lentils. And, and afterwards, we're asking for, for personal application. Well, what do you take away from this passage? And guess what Corinne took away from it? Man, I need to apply the, the blood of, of Christ to my own life. She got saved at Bible study, y'all. Corinne, the word of God for what it is. And because she learned the, the doctrine, the clear teaching, now she found personal application of it. And she realized, man, I need to be saved. Praise the Lord. Fast forward. Corinne comes out and joins us for a uh, fall retreat as a, a college class. Even though she's living not in Kansas City, flies out. We say, if you pay for the flight, we'll pay for everything else. She comes and joins us. She gets loved on by all, you know, the, 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 the Kaya group. She starts saying, man, you know, I wonder if God would move me to Kansas City. Man, so me and my wife were praying, Lord, did you move Corinne to Kansas City? So she starts applying to different schools in Kansas City. And would you have it that, that UMKC offered her the best scholarship? And so she, while she was here, she got baptized back home. And she called us and said, hey, y'all, UMKC, they accepted me. I'm going to go to UMKC. I'm going to come. She picked up her life after attending one Bible study and then a fall retreat. She picked up her life and came because she knew that she needed more of this word in her life. Why? Because she wanted to be a minister. And the coolest part is, fast forward this year, she went to Boston on her very first mission trip. And on a college campus where we met her, on a college campus in Dallas, she led her first person to the Lord. Awesome, right? Man, praise the Lord. An open Bible does the work of God. And so, man, the the personal takeaways come from, from doctrine. And we want to encourage everybody to consider their text and how it actually personally applies to their life. It's not, it's not practical. It's not preaching. And we'll close in prayer. Why? Because prayer activates the ministry. So we'll say, Lord, man, we heard from you today, and this has to be true in my life. Lord, in the context of these people, man, will they hold me accountable to actually preach your word this week? I know that my buddy, Joey, he just needs to hear the gospel. And I see the, the, the person of Paul and his boldness. And man, I just got to proclaim it. Awesome. And guess what, y'all? Now, throughout the week, hey, Alvera, when are you meeting with Joey? Man, we'll be praying before you meet up with him. Let us know how it goes. And, and guess what? And praise the Lord. Now there's accountability to actually act on the things that God's calling us to. Not this weird pressure, but man, we're, we're all in it together. We want to trust God to do miraculous things in and through us. And so as we end, uh, kind of the, the, the last call is that these Bible studies, they have the potential to be evangelical, but only if you let them, only if you let them, right? And so these Bible studies, they're only going to be evangelical if you want them to be. And so the call is to pray, right? Lord, we have to be dependent on you for your word to be a reality in our lives and for your word to work effectually in the lives of people that are coming. Bible studies are only evangelical if we invite the lost, right? If it's just us gathering, then, man, that's cool. Like, I love you guys and all. But, man, I want new fish coming in, right? Got to get a fresh catch. 
Bible studies are only evangelical if the, the, the word of God is open, right? You see, the, the, the um, evangelist just gets the word of God open with the Ethiopian eunuch and just starts preaching Christ. And we've got to allow the word of God to do the work of God. And finally, Bible studies are only evangelical if we express Christ's love, right? Can't just talk the talk, we got to walk the walk. It's, that's, that's what planted me at Midtown. So again, I told you, 10 years ago, I came into MBT. I was invited to Dan and Noah's Bible study, and I saw a group of guys that genuinely loved each other and cared for each other. I thought the church was weird. Like, it, it wasn't polished. It was, like, I don't know. Like, this guy over here is homeless. This guy, like, whatever. And I was like, this is, this is different, right? But y'all, I started getting into the Word with other guys, and I saw the love that they had for me and their encouragement to, to invite me to come along. And there's a guy named Montana Rex who wanted to meet up with me and we'd grab coffee together and he'd, he'd buy coffee and cinnamon rolls for me. It's like, man, this is the best, right? And he'd just check in to see how I was doing. He'd check in to, to see if I understood what we're reading and we'd, we'd read the book of John together. They'd invite me over. I got to, again, I got to crash up on their couch and just hang out with the boys. Man, I, I got to, to, to experience the love of Christ in the body of Christ, right? And so these places, they have to be a place where we don't just talk the talk, but we walk the walk. Uh, Kansas City, or not Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri. So Missouri is the show me state, right? And so it's like, man, you can talk all day, but show me, right? And man, our Bible studies have to be a context, have to be a place where we don't just talk about the word of God, but we actively live the word of God. And we love people the way that Christ loves people, right? And so... You know, I think I'm probably over time, uh, but that concludes our, our, our section for today. Uh, I'm trusting God that you guys will get an open Bible with the lost. You know, the word of God to do the work of God. And you'd see people's lives completely transformed in front of you. And, and maybe you're coming and, and you're just attending church. Man, as you get into the, you know, Bible study, suddenly you be, become an owner of ministry, right? Where it was just, you know, James DeCoker's ministry or, or, or Joe McKegg's ministry, or, or you know, uh, whoever's ministry. Man, this is my ministry. And you grow a burden for people. You grow a shepherd's heart. And suddenly, God's doing an incredible work in and through you that you can never imagine. And so I'm going to pray for you if that's okay. Uh, and then we'll dismiss. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. Uh, but we'll have time for Q&A tomorrow. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.